Welcome to the Contrast Church Podcast. Contrast is located in Grandview, Ohio, with the mission to help people be with Jesus, become like Him, and live out His mission together. For more information on attending our meetings, our missional communities, or giving, visit contrast.church. Wow, man, I'm already, like, I can just head out now, I think. Like, I don't, I was looking at my notes, I'm like, I don't even think we need half of this. Um, Man, Alex, you're a gift. Thank you for just, man, like, as a fellow porn addict myself, uh, it's just so encouraging every time someone speaks on that with such boldness and courage and places it in the Lord's hands, so. Uh, and I, I've told Alex, uh, we went rock climbing a couple weeks ago, and he had told me he was off social media, and I was probably one of the guys like, oh, you're off social media, wow. Uh, and then, you know, it just like, this is how I love how the spirit works. You know, he wasn't like, oh, yeah, you need to do it or whatever. It was just like the spirit was just like, Trey, this is your time, and for me personally. And, um, of course, we're sitting in a staff meeting, and, and, and Nick, had been, Nick had been off for several months and didn't tell me. And I'm like, what the heck, guys? Everybody's like, I'm going to be on here alone and not even know. And, uh, and then Hannah and I were just, you know, in a cynical, like, social media is the worst and, and all that. And um, it is not. We're, not. we're not, you know, hating on it. But uh, we just got to the point where we're like, let's just do something about it. And so we created the quiet year from basically Alex didn't even realize conviction uh, to Nick's conviction to our staff's conviction. And we have almost 100 people that are, that are participating. Yeah. Yeah. So whether, whether people last a week or all year, um, I, we've already had people just been like, man, it's been really good. So uh, if you're new... You're probably like, this is a wild place. Um, <laughs> like, are these people doomsday preppers? Like, what are they doing? We've got a giant cellar with lots of canned tomatoes. No, um, no. I, I, here's the thing. Like, if if there's anything we want to leave you with, uh, we're just deeply pursuing the heart of Jesus, and um, a lot of that is very countercultural. And uh, wherever you're at, like, we're we are where we we want to be where you are. Uh, and and like the cloud thing is huge. Like, we're not. No one, is, no one is above anyone here. We're all broken. We all have our stuff. I have my stuff. Um, we're just all trying to do it together. So uh, be encouraged by that, hopefully, even if you're a little taken back by uh, some of the stuff we're doing. Um, but as a church, hopefully, we want to be a light on a hill, and, and light requires some energy and some friction. So uh, we're, we're just in that space. Um, in the new year, happy new year, by the way. Uh, uh, I just wanted to celebrate a few things. One, we, uh, I got to send off a wonderful couple yesterday, Eric and Faith Struber, uh, who got married. Yes, uh, and so that was really exciting, and so we're always excited to just celebrate a couple in marriage. And uh, They actually met here, got engaged here, did not get married here, but uh, that's because our building is too small, uh, which leads us to the next exciting thing. Uh, tomorrow, I go to our architect firm's office to do a final page turn of all our permit drawings for our new building across the street. Yeah, yeah so excited for that. We'll hold double the amount, so that's exciting. Uh, and there will be adequate space for kids that will not be just in a closet, uh, so that's exciting. Uh, our prayer room will even be bigger. It'll have its own private entrance from the outside, which is so, so we're just, we're really excited. Uh, God's been doing a lot of great stuff there, uh, and um, yeah, man, I'm just like, I could park it here. The 2024 has been great, so. <laughs> well, we're in John, if you can't tell. Uh, turn in your Bible, John 5. We've been going through, we started uh, in the fall, took a break for Advent over December, and then uh, we're going to be concluding John during Holy Week this year, so in a few months. 
we just like to honor the, the kind of Jewish calendar just to be able to steep ourselves in understanding the scriptures through a Jewish perspective, uh, which I'll get into a little bit today. And so if it is your first time, I'm going to be honest, I'm a little nerdier than most pastors, so there's a little bit of history involved, but I promise it's worth it. Okay, I'm not as boring as the History Channel, um, but I would say uh, that some of this is really important as we remember that we are Gentiles, we are not Jewish, and we are in America 2,000 years later. So the way that we read the Bible, we understand it, it's important we have a little bit of context about what's going on. Uh, so John 5, <coughs> we're in week 9, and so we, spent, we went through the first four chapters, John is focused on letting you know that Jesus is this depiction of God, the logos, which means the audible words of God. And so when we see Jesus talk, when we see him act, thank you, um, still getting over bronchitis, so that's fun. But uh, when we see him act, that it, it is God himself. And so we want to know what God looks like, we look to Jesus. And so we spent a few weeks understanding that idea. And then we saw Jesus go through several different signs and discourses. Discourses is a nerdy word for teachings. And, and so John, what he does is this, he writes this whole gospel account of Jesus. He has seven signs he focuses on, and he has seven discourses. Why seven? Seven in the Jewish culture was the number of perfection or completion or maturity. And so what John is saying is Jesus fulfills the teachings of the law, the power of God in this perfect way. The resurrection then is the seventh sign, and it will kind of culminate all together. So we're going through those. So today we're talking about the third discourse or teaching of Jesus, and while it is a lot of verses, and I'm going to go through some of it a little bit quickly, what I want you to know uh, is that these teachings are incredibly important for the time that we, that we understand in this first century um, culture. And so today, uh, what, what is happening, though, is this really uh, unique thing that Jesus is doing. He's basically going to four primary feasts that the Jewish people would engage in each year, and he's doing something provocative at each feast or festival. And so if you turn to uh, the Bible Project photo here, this is taken off of um, the, if you watch the, um, the video of the Bible Project, if you've ever like, watched any of those videos or whatever uh, in the book of John. Maybe we, do we have it, Sarah, or no? It's taking its time. Um, there we go. But so this is a snippet of it. And so we're in chapter, end of chapter 5. And if you look, uh, the Sabbath is um, the first one, the Passover, Tabernacles, and Hanukkah. Hanukkah is, uh, maybe you've heard of Hanukkah, and you've been like, oh, yeah, that's just the Feast of Dedication. Um, I talked in Christmas Eve, if you were here, that was celebrating Judah the Hammer, which is a great name, uh, and uh, he basically restored the temple for temple worship about 70 years before Jesus came, and so the Han- they saw it Han- Hanukkah as like a reminder of that, uh, and so their, their calendar was filled with these holidays, same with Easter, Halloween, uh, 4th of July, right? Like We live our lives based on this type of a calendar with rhythms and rest and speed and pace. Uh, and, and so that's what they're doing. And so right now we're in that yellow area where uh, our uh, church planning network resident is planning a church in Sunbury. Josh last time spoke about Jesus healing on the Sabbath, this provocative work that he was doing that he wasn't allowed to do. And then it brings him into this discussion that we're talking about today. So as you can see, though, Jesus is, is probing all these feasts, the life of the Jewish people. And he's, he's really just trying to raising the bar as we see him do so often. And so... Uh, as we're at the end of this first one, uh, Jesus was heading into Jerusalem for what was probably known as the Feast of Trumpets, and he was healing on the Sabbath, and it brings this large tension uh, between him and religious leaders, because he's just breaking the rules, honestly. He's breaking the rules, and they're like, ah, you can't do that, and he's like, oh, I can do that. And so we're going to get into Jesus' defense of why he can do that, and, uh, and so there's three parts, if you like to take notes. 
verses 19 through 24 is Jesus is saying he's equal with God the Father as a divine God-man, which, you know, to a lot of Christians, this isn't, like, new to us, I would say. Uh, most people would say, yeah, Jesus is God and man. We don't know how it really works, but it, it happened. And, uh, and so, but, but this is so important to these people that he's communicating to. The second part is that Jesus is the judge of all people. Those who enter his kingdom and those who do not, he is the judge of those people. God the Father has given him that authority. And then third, in verses 30 through 47, Jesus has several witnesses to attest the claims of what he's saying to these people. Uh, And so let's jump into the first part. Like I said, I'm going to read a little fast here because we're covering a lot of verses, but I'm going to try to just take points here and there at verses that will stick out. Uh, So in verse 19... Jesus answered them, I tell you the solemn truth. The son can do nothing on his own initiative, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, the son does likewise. For what the, son loves, uh, the father loves the son and shows him everything he does and will show him greater deeds than these, the healings that Jesus is talking about, so that you will be amazed. For just as the father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the son gives life to whomever he wishes. Furthermore, the father does not judge anyone, but he has assigned all judgment to the son so that all people will honor the Son just as they honor the Father. And the one who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. I tell you this solemn truth. The one who hears my message and believes the one who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned, but has crossed over from death to life. So today is very much an understanding of what is life in Jesus' eyes. Uh, But as he gets there and he unpacks this, we have to talk about, you know, why do these three parts matter? The first part, Jesus being fully God. Like I said, some of you may have grown up in the church and been like, yeah, it's kind of a staple of being a Christian. Some of you maybe aren't Christian or this is new to you and you didn't even really realize. You were confused. Is there three gods? Is there one God? Talk about the Father. Talk about Jesus. Talk about the Holy Spirit. What's the relationship, right? It's a little complex, if I'm honest. Um, But in this passage specifically, This is a very important passage for three main reasons that I could think of. There's probably more. The first one is this matters to Muslims. If you are going to talk with a Muslim, you have a Muslim friend who is um, abiding by the Islamic rules. Uh, Jesus is in the the Quran, I think, almost 49 times. Every time he's in there, he's considered to be a prophet. So he is a mortal man uh, who, they would argue, did not die on a cross and, and raise again, and that the, if he did anything miraculous, it was through the power of Allah. It was not himself being fully God. Uh, and so this is probably the best passage to be able to point someone who is Muslim to, uh, because Jesus is very clear on his own terms, saying, this is who I am, this is my relationship. Uh, the second is a smaller camp of uh, people, Jehovah Witnesses, and some other smaller segmented areas of Christianity, if you want to call it that, uh, who don't affirm that Jesus is equal to God the Father. Uh, if you're a nerd and you love theology, this is called subordinationism. And what it means is that, that people believe that Jesus is a lower level than God. So God the Father is like ultimate, and then Jesus is like second-rate God below God the Father. Um, and that has been a argued belief for thousands, yeah, 2,000 years. Um, it was condemned as heresy in 325 AD, and it is still well and alive today. And to be honest with you, if you read the Bible in different parts, you would, see what, you would feel like that's the case. You'd feel like, man, Jesus is like really submitting to the Father. I don't see the Father submitting to Jesus at all, right? It, feels, it does feel very uh, unequally yoked when you read certain texts in the Scripture. Um, but as I have communicated probably ad nauseum at this point, uh, the whole Bible matters, and you have to take the whole narrative of the Bible to understand the complexities of these things. 
Uh, and then the third one, which is probably most relevant to us today, you don't have a lot of Muslim friends, you don't have a lot of Jehovah Witness friends coming to your door, which is always fun, uh, is, is the God of the Old Testament the same as the God of the New Testament? This is probably, in my opinion, one of the top five most modern non-Christian sticking points. Uh, they, they would say something like this, Trey, I love the Jesus guy, but the God in the Old Testament's a mean dude. Uh, and he doesn't seem consistent with Jesus. How can Jesus, who tells us to lay down our weapons and, and essentially be pacifists, uh, be the same God who in the, in the book of Judges, in the book of uh, Job, in the book of 1 Kings, have all of this just like carnage and, and, and what looks like uh, murder and, and killing and war and all this type of stuff, right? That is a very real sticking point for many people, probably some of you, right? And some of you have just gotten over it. You've pushed it aside. Some of you have studied it, and maybe you've gotten answers you'd like. Uh, some of you maybe are just like, I'm too busy. I don't know. You know, you're like, whatever. We don't just go around and, and uh, murder people for territory anymore. Uh, but then you also read the news, and you're like, actually, people are doing that currently in, in uh, the Middle East. So um, it, it, that is a difficult uh, component of, of faith and, and the Bible and trusting the Bible. Um, and you know, I feel like I say this a lot, and I feel like it's a cop-out. I don't have enough time to get into all of that today. Uh, people are going to be like, when do you, Trey? Um, but maybe, maybe you can come over, and we'll talk about it for two hours. But, um, but here, here's what I want you to know. And in this passage, Jesus is being very clear that God the Father and Jesus are all one. And when you see Jesus, you see the God the Father. And when you see God the Father, you see Jesus. And so when we look at the story of who Jesus is and his heart for his people and the fulfilling of the law of the Old Testament, we have to bring those two together. And it's funny because I, I, I rarely run into people who would say they don't like love Jesus as, as a teacher, as a moral guide in the world. You know, I mean, a lot of people compare him to a Gandhi, right? Very similar type of teaching and understanding. Nobody really hates on Jesus and his, his words or his lifestyle, um, but then they hate on the, what it requires of them or, like I said, reconciling it with God of the Old Testament. And so today, I want to just acknowledge that tension. Um, but Jesus, in what he says here, I think is really powerful for us. If we believe in Jesus and what he's done, he's our rabbi, we have to really take these words and we have to let them live inside of us as we read the whole Bible. And, and so what he's doing here, to us, we have these modern you know, understandings, religions that we deal with. To them, this is religious leaders who follow Yahweh, the one true God, and Jesus is saying, I'm basically God too. And they're like, that is not okay. So they have a fair claim, I would say, to be like a little nervous about what Jesus is doing. Um, and uh, and it, it matters. And so uh, the first part, I think he makes pretty clear, is he's equal with God the Father. He says, I don't do anything the Father doesn't do, or that I'm not seeing the Father do. The Father, likewise, does the same, same thing through me. And he constantly uses this term, basically, if you, if you believe in me, you've seen the Father. And to, to us, you know, we know that, the, that Jesus is the image of God. It is, he's the logos, the word, the physical being of God. So when we want to know what God is like, we look to Jesus. And uh, that, that is sometimes difficult because uh, a lot of us don't even sometimes know what Jesus would do. You know, there was this 90s fad where you wear this WWJD bracelet. I don't know if you ever, maybe you own one now. You're like, we're bringing it back, you know. Uh, and, but it, it, it was always funny because I'm, you know, you always ask the question, what would Jesus do? And I'm like, most of you wouldn't know because you haven't read any of the Gospels and you've just been taking stuff you've heard and been like, that sounds like Jesus. Let's do that, you know? And uh, so it, it, is, it is difficult sometimes to, to really know and understand like 
what does this mean in light of what Jesus is trying to say? And he's trying to bring into light the Pharisees, hey, I am God. And me and the Father, you can't separate us. It's like when you see a marriage, uh, the, the Strubers just got married, right? It's like calling them the Strubers. When you say the Strubers, who are you talking about? Are you talking about Eric? Are you talking about Faith? The Strubers. They're one, right? Yes, there's Eric and yes, there's Faith. But when I say the Strubers, it's both of them. They're one. They're one flesh. They're married. They're one unit. In the same way, Jesus is like, you can't just say God and not mean me and the Father. And then later, the Holy Spirit, another part. But he's saying, you can't just look and separate. We are one, and everything we do coexists together in unity. And, you know, to the Pharisees and the religious leaders who are arguing with him at this time, I mean, this is just profound uh, and, and problematic in many ways. Uh, our, our John scholar, who been, has been going along with us through this journey, Leon Morris, says, nowhere else in the Gospels do we find Jesus making such a formal, systematic, orderly, regular statement of his own unity with God the Father. Uh, and basically what he's saying is it, he's almost, Jesus is almost putting on like his professor glasses and being a little bit nerdy here. He's like very clearly teaching these religious leaders who are very academic, this is, let me lay this out for you. And some of you are like, I'm not a big academic person. I'm, I'm, I'm doesn't, I don't necessarily prioritize that. Some of you are like really into that. Like that's a really big component of just your understanding, your logic, your beliefs, your values. Uh, and so maybe you're going to really enjoy these. This, but what he's doing is he's saying, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put this out for you. And at the end of the day, the only way you're going to go decide this isn't true is just based on your own opinion and your pride. Because the way that I have, I have strung this through the Bible and through witnesses and all this, uh, he's basically making a really hard case for, for his divinity and, and uh, being who he is. So second part. First part, Jesus is equal to God the Father. Second part. Verses 25 through 29, he says, I tell you the solemn truth again. That's just a way of saying this. Really, what I'm saying is really important, if you're wondering. A time is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For just as the Father has life in himself, thus he has granted the Son to have life in himself. And he has granted the Son authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not be amazed at this. Because a time, um, a time is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and they will come out. The ones who have done what is good to the resurrection resulting in life and the ones who have done what is evil to the resurrection resulting in condemnation. Now, immediately, if you're just kind of like listening to that last few verses, you're like, that's interesting. It says that the ones who have done good to the resurrection re receive life. And I've talked about this tension a lot, how there's a lot of passages in the Bible where it appears as though what we do is... Uh, is, is what is required to be in heaven, right? The things that we do. And we know that that's not true, right? We are, believe that the gospel and the good news and salvation is from grace alone. There's no effort that you can do that would impress or make you right standing before God, that it's all fully a gift from Jesus through grace, right? But then you have these passages where like, that doesn't sound like that. That sounds like we got to do good stuff, right? What's going on here? And uh, the best way to describe this is Jesus' understanding of, of the idea of hearing, uh, oftentimes he'll say, those who have ears, let them listen. Those who can hear, hear, right? And there's other times where he'll say, oh, they, they don't have ears to listen. Um, now, obviously, that's, that's not physically true, right? Like half of the Jewish people did not just not have ears uh, and not have auditory, uh, good auditory whatever. I don't even know. We don't have an ear doctor here, do we? We've got an eye doctor and some other doctors, but no, no ear doctors. So what is an ear doctor? Does anyone know what they're called? Audiologist. Uh, audiologist? Okay, good. Thank you. We'll pray for one, but um, yeah, they'll be like, trade, botch that, that minute and a half, but, uh, but 
he, he's not saying, like, physically here, you know, in the same way in marriage, when your wife's like, you're not listening, you're like, oh, I, it's going in here. Like, I, I'm hearing it. Uh, but you don't like the way that I'm responding or I'm not empathizing with the weight of what you are trying to convey. That's what Jesus is meaning here. In fact, uh, a better definition of this, instead of just the idea of hearing and listening, is hearing with appreciation and taking heed of what is saying. The best way to describe this is when my daughter is disobeying me and I tell her to listen, it's not that she didn't hear me. It's that she's not following. She's not taking heed of what I said. I said, listen to me. That means follow my instruction, right? Uh, and and that, that is a very different uh, ability to understand of hearing. It's, it requires a lot more embodiment of what is being said. And so what he's saying is, look, I've, I've, I've talked a lot with you people, and uh, you're not listening. Not that they're not hearing it. They are immediately trying to defend their cases and their pride and the lives they've built up. But he's saying you're not taking heed of it. You're not allowing it to, to live inside of you. And let's be honest, this is like the life we live right now. There's tons of people in our lives, maybe you're, you're, you yourself can feel this conviction that, that man, I, I like, I've listened, but I'm not, there's no taking heed in my life. If I, if I was to ask you, hey, you love Jesus, and you were to say, yeah, and I was to say, okay, what does that mean to you? You, you, know, you maybe couldn't even explain it. Well, like, I pray sometimes, you know, or I go to church. That's a big one, right? We're real spiritual if we go to church. Uh, and, uh, and you have these things, right? But at the end of the day, like, are you actually listening to your rabbi? Are you actually in- injecting the words of his life and his teachings in your life so that you take heed and you do what is to be said? If my daughter is listening to me, she is acknowledging what I want for her. She might not always know the full intent, has to trust me, right? But is actually doing what I'm requiring of her. And so that's this tense that Jesus is getting at. Um, But what's so important for John, who writes this, is John is a little bit urgent in his writing. Uh, A lot of the other writers are more like, hey, salvation to come, heaven, eternity, all this good stuff. John is very like now. The moment is now. Uh, The the, the language he describes uh, is summarized like this. He says, "Here, uh, here and now those who love darkness receive their condemnation. Here and now those who believe in Christ enter into eternal life. This does not mean that the concepts of a future resurrection of the dead and of Judgment Day are done away with, but that, that John is emphasizing the moment here and now. And here's, here's what I want, I want to explain that as. You might be like, I follow Jesus. I believe in him. And you might be looking forward to what is to come in heaven, right? But that does not mean that heaven is not here now in your belief. No one would argue with me right now that if you believe in Jesus now, that you are not being transformed and changed in that moment. And that's what John is saying. Like, you are sitting in your condemnation in this very moment. Uh, the, the favorite adage my mentor used to give to describe this is he'd have people come to his door. Uh, maybe they were Jehovah's Witness, maybe not. Um, and uh, they were like, hey, do you know where you're going if you die tomorrow? You know, he's like, well, the morgue? I don't know. No. Uh, do you know where you're going? And, and then, then, you know, the classic quip was like, well, you know, you never know when you could die. If you die accepting Jesus, like, and he would always say uh, this quip, you know, they say, hey, do you know where you're going? Uh, if you were to die tomorrow or whatever, he says, uh, well, what about today? And they didn't have a good answer for that because that doesn't fit with their eschatology, their end times understanding, because what they're doing is we're, we're trying to get you saved for the end goal. And John is saying, you have the opportunity right now, and the right now matters. This isn't like a, I'm going to hold the get-out-of-jail-free card in my pocket, and then when I die, then I'll get to go to heaven and I'll enjoy it because you've been... You've been you've been um, pushing away heaven on earth your entire life, and now you're just going to go enjoy heaven for real? Like, 
We are practicing heaven every day when we believe in the words of Jesus, when we take heed of them in our lives. And so today, the good news is today it can be heaven. In small glimpses, the Spirit working through us, allowing us to love other people, allowing us to see Jesus for who he is. And John is not letting you wait. Because he's saying right now, there's a judgment to come, there's a heaven to come, but right now you stand in your own condemnation or you are made free in eternal life in this moment. And, and, so, and, he, and he just adds this weight of that Jesus is the judge of all this, that Jesus is in charge of all this. The man who is one of the most loving, perfect human beings on earth that we've ever encountered is also the judge of this, which is very hard for us. It's like an amazing boss who also fired your friend. And you're like, oh, I don't know about that guy anymore. I don't trust him, right? Like, how can someone who is the best boss ever also have to do the dirty work, also have to fire people, right? Uh, and that's, that's what we have a hard time with Jesus, right? No one, you know, Miley Cyrus, no one can judge me, right? Only God can judge me. And it, it's like, yeah, I mean, you're kind of right, but he is going to judge people. Like, it's not like he's like, just kidding, I'm not going to judge people. And that's a big deal because what God, what God is saying is that Jesus and the Father are one, and Jesus has all authority to judge all people. And he's revealing this to the religious leaders in such a powerful way. All right, let me get to the last thing, and then I'll wrap it off, I promise, because you probably feel like I'm all over the place here. Last part, verse 40. He says, I can do nothing on my own initiative. Just as I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I do not seek my own will, but the one who sent me, that's the Father. See how he's reminding them again? He says, if I testify about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who testifies about me, and I know the testimony he testifies about me is true. You have sent to John, and he has testified to the truth. That's John the Baptist. I do not accept human testimony, but I say this so that you may be saved. He was a lamp that was burning and shining, and you wanted to rejoice greatly for a short time in his light. But I have a testimony greater than that from John. For the deeds that the Father has assigned me to complete, the deeds I am now doing, testify about me that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has himself testified about me. You people have never heard his voice, nor seen his form at any time, nor do you have his word residing in you because you do not believe the one whom he sent. You study the scriptures thoroughly because you think that, that in them you possess eternal life. And in these same scriptures that testify about me, you are not willing to come to me so that you may have life. I do not accept praise from people, but I know you that you do not have the love of God within you. I have come in my Father's name and you do not accept me. If someone else comes in his own name, will you accept him? How can you believe if you accept the praise from one another and don't seek the praise that comes from the only God? Do not suppose that I will accuse you before the Father. The one who accuses you is Moses, in whom you have placed your hope. If you believed Moses, you would believe me, because he wrote about me. But if you do not believe what Moses wrote, how will you believe my words? This is Jesus' final closing statement, if you will. And there's a lot. You're like, wow, there's like so many names in there, a lot going on. Uh, there's five witnesses that Jesus is bringing up here, five witnesses. Now, this isn't five physical people necessarily. It's five things that are witnessing to him. Uh, and, and if you know a witness, a witness is supposed to be what? Unbiased, neutral. They're objective, right? That's how it's supposed to be in the court of law, not how it works out. Uh, but a witness is neither good nor bad, right? They don't have a side. They burn their boats. They're like, I am here to be objective about what I saw or what happened, right? I'm not supposed to like, I like that guy more. I want the defense to win, right? You're just supposed to be completely unbiased. You raise your right hand over King James and say, I'm not going to lie. You know, everyone does. But, but they, that's their goal. And so in, in some ways, they've lost their freedom to be able to figure out what they want or what they desire. They, ha they have a goal and they have to 
meet that goal. Uh, and Leanne Morris says, this is something that God has done in Jesus. Jesus is the supreme revelation of God and who he is. If we want to know what God is like, we must look to Jesus. And so God, so to speak, has gone on record that this is what he is like. He has committed himself in Jesus. And so he commits himself in five, five witnesses, five ways. The first one is the Father. It's verse 32 through 37. And he talks about the Father is sending me and the Father attests to me in testimony. Now the, now the, the religious leader is like, well, we haven't seen Yahweh. Like, it's not possible. The glory of him would, you know, it's not possible. Um, and so that one, they feel like, oh, I don't know if we, how we believe that. And then he talks about John the Baptist. John the Baptist came preaching the same message that Jesus then took and, and continued to preach. Repentance for the kingdom of God is here. He also developed followers that then became Jesus' followers. The third one is Jesus says, my works and my signs are a witness. The fact that I can do this and you have no explanation. I can heal this man. I just healed this lame man by this pool. I, I've, done, I've, I've cast out demons. I've stopped weather like that. Like these signs are revealing to you that this is a witness to something. There is power inside him, which they could not deny. Their argument then became, well, he's demonic. He's got power. Is it good or bad? It's got to be bad. He's a demon, right? That's where they got to. Then the fourth one, which I think we can most understand, is the scriptures. He's like, look, the scriptures, which at this point they didn't have the New Testament. They only had uh, the Old Testament, which would have been like the first five books, the, the writings and all that kind of stuff that they had studied deeply. He says, you have all these things and the law that's pointing toward God's heart and, and seeing how I am fulfilling all that. And then the fifth one is the, is the trump card to a, a religious leader, and it's Moses. Because Moses is like their guy. You know, you have like Yahweh, and then you got Moses. Like he is, he is their guy, their prophet, uh, you know, and who writes a majority of the, the beginning of the Old Testament and was their leader uh, and, and prophesied that there would be a Messiah to come. So Jesus has essentially thrown everything that they know at them and been like, I am in all of this. And all of this attests to me. And what he's doing is creating a case, essentially, for these religious leaders, which is rare. Jesus doesn't do this very often. He doesn't play their game very often. Um, but in this moment, he's probably pretty fed up with them. Uh, and so, yeah, this is one of, like, a longer thing, uh, just monologue, basically, of him talking. You don't hear any of their responses. I have no idea how they did respond. But he gives them this vibe, and there's three reasons why they don't listen, it says in the text. The first one is they've never heard God's voice. Moses heard God's voice, but they are, Jesus says, you can't be true followers of Moses, otherwise you would have heard God's voice in me, in Jesus, and what I'm echoing. Number two, they haven't seen God's form. Israel saw the, that, that form in Genesis 32, but if they would have seen God in Jesus, they would have seen his form. And the third one is, they don't have God's word abiding in them. The psalmist in 119 says he has God's word in his heart, but they do not share this experience because had they have done that, they would have heard with ears and, and heeding Jesus' words and teaching. And so as we wrap this up and as we, we kind of bring this all together, I know it's a lot um, that's going on here. What I, what I want to pinpoint for us is, is basically just answering this question, what is keeping you from listening to Jesus? And man, this applies to everyone. Some of us know like that do follow Jesus. There's these things he asks of us that we're very fearful of. There's these things he's asking us to let go of, right? This reconciliation with a person that we don't want to do, right? These things. So I, I, every one of us can answer this internally, right? It says, you know, have you not heard God's voice like these religious leaders? Well, the Bible is the living words of God. Jesus is the audible words of God. What we see in Jesus, we see as God. 
Have you never seen God? It says Jesus is the invisible made visible. Even more, he's not just walking, a walking human of love, but we see God not only through Jesus, but through his people as image bearers. Romans 1 says we see God through his creation. So everybody loves a good sunset in, in Arizona. Like, it's just the best. I lived there for three years, and it would be 200 million degrees out, but the sunsets were remarkable because you just can't describe it, right? There's just something about it. Have you uh, opposed or not allowed God's word to abide or remain in you? Do you not let the words of God sink deeply into your heart or your pride? Do you scoff or ignore and gym- gymnastic around things? He says, you study the scriptures thoroughly because you think in them you'll possess life, but you're not willing to come to me so that you may have life. So as we wrap up all these parts, I just I want to focus on this idea that John is saying, hey, life is available here now. Because right now you are in condemnation. There is judgment to come, but in this moment you are in condemnation. We believe that. If you don't follow Jesus, you don't have the Spirit inside you. And I'll tell you what, the Spirit's pretty great. And, and if you don't have that, you are sitting in your own condemnation. I love this poem by Hester uh, Chalamandale, and he says... Um, to stop the ears is one way of listening. It is to pass a sentence of judgment upon oneself. And so what he's saying is when Jesus says, you have ears to listen or you're not heeding my words, you're hearing it, but you are purposely saying, I'm not going to let that affect me, right? And that is your own judgment. And he says this little poem. He says, still as of old, man by himself is priced. For 30 pieces, Judas sold himself, not Christ. Who was condemned? with 30 pieces. Was it Jesus or was it Judas? And so we sit in our own condemnation, in our own sin. It's not Jesus is doing, but Jesus has a solution. And John is saying, you want life? You just got to come to Jesus. That's all it is. You can study the scriptures with a prideful heart, with an assumptive heart, and be just like the religious leaders. And you can think you have it all figured out and be dead wrong. And I don't know about you, I mean, I, that happens to me all the time, right? I think I assume something of a passage, and I don't want to deal with the implications of if I could be wrong, right? Or I don't, I don't want to, like, it'll affect my kingdom I've built. I don't like that. And I've used this language so much before, but, you know, we're just, we're living in, in two kingdoms. And one of them is ours, one of them is Jesus, and living in between them is impossible. It's exhausting, it's tiring, it doesn't work. So as I invite Jerry up here uh, and we enter into a time of formation, we do this every Sunday. We give you guys opportunities to reflect and to not just consume but to engage. And so we have four ways. Uh, one is we have people in the back who would love to pray for you about anything and everything. Um, and we just, that's been so sweet for us, even just adding that into the prayer room this week. It would be so fun. We also just want you to reflect on what, is, what has been said, not just me, but Alex, our worship today. Uh, I'll have some questions in a second, but we also believe that giving is an act of worship. We call it bring because we're not giving anything that is ours. It's all God's. So we're just bringing back a portion of what is his. Uh, and then we also have the bread and cup in the front and the back, gluten-free and grape juice, uh, every Sunday as a reminder of this life that we get in Christ, that his body broken and killed for us, for our sins and our condemnation. And as we partake in that, for those who believe in Jesus or want to believe in Jesus, That's a moment reminder now that you have life now. You have life to come, which is great, but you have life now. John is like, it's here. It's now. The time has come. It is now for those who do not want to stand in condemnation any longer. 
And so I want to wrap up with these three questions that you can reflect on. We'll give you space for all these things. You can do any of those things that you'd like. Number one, what deflections and struggles with trusting Jesus and his gospel have you encountered personally in your life? And what about uh, in others around you? Number two, what is Jesus communicating to you in this passage? And number three, what would repentance look like for you? And what freedom could it bring you in yours and others' lives around you? John is not, uh, he's not pulling any punches about the importance of life in Christ. And all that's required is just repentance. It's a moment of turning, turning around. And the religious leaders, no matter how far they've gone, always had the opportunity to take heed and to turn. And a lot of times, you know, we think, man, I've been walking this way so long that when I turn, I have a lot of way to go back to get to Jesus. And that's just wrong thinking. Jesus has been falling behind you that whole time. He's been present and he's been aware. And the moment you turn around, he will be right there. I, I love this game I play with my daughter where we, you know, she'll run and like pretend like she's trying to hide from me. And uh, she'll run a little bit and turn around and look and see like if I'm standing there and I'll like freeze or scare. My favorite thing to do is the second she turns around, I run as quietly as I can. And right when she turns around, I'm right there. And you know, just her face, right, lits up. She's so surprised. And for many of us, that is where Jesus is. He is right there. It's a small moment of repentance. I am not king. I am not in charge. I trust in your words. I take heed in them. I want them to live because I want life now. I want life forever, and I want it here. And that's the gospel news that we take when we remind ourselves of the symbol of what Jesus has done. He is broken and beaten for us, but he is open arms for anyone who will receive it. So we'll give you some space to reflect on that, and then we're going to close in one more song. Thank you for listening to the Contrast Church Podcast. To learn more about us and how you can be a part of it, visit contrast.church.